0: The following is a pre recorded program. Friends, it's a day I could only dream about. 50 years in the Lord now, 50 years since Jesus
1: set me free. We got a special broadcast for you.
0: But this is the only time this is going to happen ever that I celebrate my 50th birthday spiritually, my 50th anniversary in the Lord. So we've solicited some special questions from you online. I won't be taking calls today, but I believe you're going to be deeply and richly blessed as we celebrate God's goodness and grace together. I I am overwhelmingly thankful, uh, holding back tears of gratitude and appreciation to the Lord for transforming my life 50 years ago. It's true that five weeks earlier in 1971, November 12th, 1971, I first believed that Jesus died for my sins, but I was absolutely not ready to follow the Lord. I, I made it very plain. I told the Lord, okay, I believe this, but you know I'm, I'm not willing to change or desiring to change, so I was hardly looking to him as Lord. And then the next five weeks, a deep spiritual battle a deep battle for my soul, deep conviction of sin, going to church one day, shooting heroin the next, back and forth until that glorious night, Friday night, December 17th, 1971. I couldn't wait to get to the church service that night and sing these little hymns, you know, with the pastor's wife playing piano. This is the same guy that would see Led Zeppelin and Jimi Hendrix in concert and the Louder the music, the better. I, I would scream at the top of my lungs at a rock concert if I could hear my voice. Uh, it wasn't loud enough. Playing with our band every day, getting high, and now just singing these old little hymns, so gloriously overcome by the joy of the Lord. And, and uh, in fact, let's let's put up that first picture from LS from LSD to PhD picture there. Yeah, that that was me. For those watching, as my hair was growing long, and you no, know, I never got a picture right at that last moment when I got saved to show you what I looked like. But, but that was the guy, my hair growing long there and in, in that picture. And there I am in, in a church service and so gloriously overcome by the joy of the Lord that I realized, wait, wait, this is something different. This is, this is different than any drug high. This is different than any music high. This is different than any friendship high sports high, just, high of doing good, you know, good feeling for doing I thought, this is of a different quality. This must be what they call the joy of the Lord. And because I heard about that a lot in the church. And just at that moment, I I, I had a clear mental picture. You may call it a vision. I saw it in my mind's eye. I saw myself filthy from head to toe, completely filthy from head to toe. And and then I, I saw the blood of Jesus just wash me completely clean. And I saw him put these white robes on me, and then I went from there, and I was playing back in the mud. And right then, I said, Lord, I will never put a needle in my arm again. That was the stronghold. That was the battle. That was the issue for me. Uh, I, I, I would have been willing to stop for a little while, but to say, I will never put a needle in my arm again, that, for me, was the point of surrender to the Lord. And that was it from that day on. And I remember looking for the guilt, because I felt guilty because of the conviction of sin stealing money from my father and lying to my mother and lying to my friends. And the way I was living, I felt I felt guilty as God was convicting me. And I remember looking for the guilt. It's like, the guilt is gone. The guilt is no guilt. The guilt is gone. Amazing. So, in fact, put up one other picture. We think that this was me as a new believer. He yeah, had the hair is a little longer. It's, it's a little fuzzy black and white. But we think so because it seems... Uh, on closer inspection that I have a little New Testament by me or in my hand. So this would have been as a brand new believer in our special school system that we had, which didn't have regular classrooms and, and all of that. And anyway, what mercy, what grace, 50 years. And what we're asking you to do today, if we've been a blessing to you, not ans- asking for finances or anything like that, if, if our ministry has been a blessing to you, If you've come to the Lord through our ministry, or you've been strengthened in your faith, or helped through difficult times, or just on a regular basis, we've been a blessing to you, would you take a moment and send a word of encouragement to me and to our team, and to glorify the Lord together? And and these encouragements will will, will help strengthen uh, us as we run our race in the years ahead. Would you take a moment to go to our website, or just do this. Write to info at askdrbrown.org. Info at askdrbrown.org. So one more time, info at askdrbrown.org. And, and just tell us the how we've been a blessing or helped you. If it's been through the broadcast, articles, preaching ministry, something else has happened. If you're a Jewish person that came to faith through our ministry, we hear of Muslims coming to faith as well. If, if you've been impacted by our teaching in different ways, just take a moment. It'll be a blessing to our entire team. Would you do that? Also, here's the other request. God has really strongly laid it on our hearts to blanket America with the line of fire broadcast. He's really strongly put it on our hearts to expand on radio all over America. Would you ask God for everything we need to do it? Again, not asking for finances, asking for prayer. Would you do that? Would you agree with us? This is not about me. I want to help people. I, I am so burdened to help believers across America and to reach those who don't know the Lord. And reading a, a very, very moving uh, report from a, a believer in Canada and just struggling terribly, came over from, from Poland as a child, as a little child, and, and knows the way his country treated the Jews. Now as a Christian in Canada, he's just shocked at what's happening and think of, you know, raising his, his family there and, and just wrote and said, you're a light in the darkness for me. You're a light in the darkness. Uh, We want to help more people and reach more people and strengthen more people. God knows it's, it's not about me wanting to be known. It's a matter of wanting to make him known and help his people be strong in these very difficult times. So would you believe God with us? So shoot us a note if we've been a particular blessing or help to you recently or over the years and believe God with us in prayer that God would blanket America with the line of fire broadcast. Would you do that? All right. Let's go over to questions that were solicited uh, earlier this week. We'll start with this question from Wayne. Hi, Dr. Brown. Christian belief has shifted within the last 50 years. So I asked for questions that would tie in especially with, with my own walk with the Lord or what I've learned or history on today, this 50th anniversary of the day that the Lord really set me free from the sins that had so enslaved me. Hi, Dr. Brown. Christian belief has shifted within the last 50 years, and I'm considering, with the rise of progressive theology, how you've stayed the course, and have you ever doubted orthodox Christian belief? Okay, first, I've never, for a minute, questioned orthodoxy versus progressive theology, meaning either everything I believed from beginning to end was wrong, and the Bible was not true, or... I was in the faith and believing truth. in in other words, liberal theology or the Bible's an inspired book, but not really the word of God or really, we're not sure if Jesus rose from the dead or all different religions have an equal way to God. whatever the direction. No, that has never had any pull on me. Those that try to use the Bible to support wrong beliefs, like say LGBT activism, using the Bible, the arguments are so weak. They break down so easily. That, that I've never questioned as much as I've looked at things and tried to see through the eyes of others. But that has never interested me, nor have I ever seen life in it. And In other words, the progressive churches are not seeing young people set free every week. The progressive churches are, are not having all night prayer where people are encountering God. The progressive churches are, are not sending out missionaries who are laying their lives down to, to get the gospel to the least of these. So that's never tempted me in the least. Uh, where I did have some intense challenges to my faith was as a new believer in particular on a few different occasions dealing with ultra-Orthodox rabbis. I met with many rabbis over those years, but a few times I really got hit with questions and could they be right, maybe I'm wrong, and and it brought me to a point of, of being on my face literally before God saying, I don't care if the whole church rejects me, I've got to follow you and your truth and be a faithful Jew, whatever that means. And conversely, I don't care if the whole Jewish community rejects me. I've, I've got to be a faithful Jew and follow you and your truth. And it was at times like that that my faith was actually deepened, going through that crisis and getting me to a deeper place of seeking and saying, "God, what I will follow, I will follow your views. However, whatever, wh- whatever truth is, I'll follow." That I was only strengthened in the process of doing it. So you know, being it with secular professors. I got challenged. Uh, is the Bible really true? But then again, my experience with the Lord was so real. The way he transformed me, the way he worked in my life so consistently in those early years, I, I just couldn't doubt it. And his ongoing work, you know, one of my friends once said, the more I pray, the more coincidences happen. You know, he said it with a smile. People that was just coincidence. Like, wasn't well, interesting? The more I pray, the more these so-called coincidences happen. I, I just had God working in my life and intimacy with him, fellowship with him. So I, I never doubted in, in those ways And where I did have those those very intense, short uh, periods of trial. Uh, yeah, that that brought out a deeper faith. It got me to dig deeper, to study more, to seek him more earnestly. Uh, I, a few times when battling for someone's healing and losing them to cancer, you know, the agony of that, you know, you wonder, okay, is what I believe about healing correct? But I, I just see the Bible is too clear. So I don't base my faith on experience, but on his promises. And then any consistency that's been in me is purely the grace of God uh, in the end. I mean, it's, it's to his glory. Um, Mark asked this, because we always battle temptation and sin, please talk about your ups and downs and keeping your faith strong throughout. And when you messed up, what you did to not be discouraged. Thanks. First thing is, uh, again, I am where I am by the grace of God. I'm, I'm in the Lord, following him, vibrant, full of faith, healthy, strong, 50 years after that night of surrender because of his grace. So we, we understand that no flesh boasts in his presence. The question is on a practical level, what do we do as, as fellow workers in the Lord? I'm gonna answer this more fully on the other side of the break, but let me just say this, One of the key things you have to do is is realize just like others have fallen, you can fall. Just like others destroyed their lives, be it with adultery or some other aspect of sexual sin, be it falling into deception, be it addiction to gambling, be it uh, financial mishandling, whatever it is, the first thing you have to start with is it could happen to me. I'm not invincible. I'm as vulnerable as anyone else except for God's grace and except that I follow his path. So start there. Let him who thinks he stand, 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Take heed, lest he fall. It's fire
1: we want, for fire we It's the line of fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866 34 Truth. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown.
0: Hey, friends, we are celebrating 50 years in Jesus today, the night of surrender, December 17th, 1971, where by the grace of God, I surrendered to his lordship and said, Lord, I'll never put a needle in my arm again. That was the point of surrender to say yes to God. And yeah, free from that night on. What a glorious, wonderful Savior. So I solicited some questions on Facebook about these 50 years and about my walk with the Lord in the special day of, of celebration. And Mark asked, in all battle temptation, what have I done over the years to stay strong? So uh, there's a message called Acharit. I, I just taught it last uh, last week, last Friday morning, actually, in Fort Worth, Texas, to uh, students at the Spiritual Leadership School at Mercy Culture. And at times I couldn't see the words on the page of the Bible because of the tears. It, it is a message about the final consequences of sin and, and righteousness. And it, it's as many have said, it's my signature message. It's, it's the message that I've preached around the world. And I can go to a country. I've been there for 10 or 20 years. Someone comes up to me. They heard me when I was there. They don't speak a word of English, but they come up, they go, Aharit, ah, Aharit, they remember that. And uh, based on truths found, especially in Proverbs, about the final consequence of sin and righteousness, the short lesson being if you could see in advance where the sin was going to take you, if the reality of that would be there, if, if, if they agonize and that you've destroyed your family, you destroyed your ministry, if you could see that and feel that in advance, you'd never start flirting with that thing and going in that direction. So I have preached that message to myself many times over the years. And by God's grace, it has saved my life because I, like anyone else, could fall and mess up. And I, like anyone else, can get casual, not be vigilant enough. So what happens when you blow it? Yeah, I've, I've blown it like others. Thankfully, I haven't crossed certain lines and blown it in, in ways that would have destroyed my ministry or disqualified me or or. Destroyed our family or anything like that, thankfully, by God's grace. Uh, but yeah, every one of us has blown it, right? There's not a human being on the earth, there's not a minister on the planet that hasn't blown it one way or another, right? So I, I can say the thing that's helped me not be discouraged is I know the love of God. I, I deeply, deeply know the love of God. And and He knows that my repentance is sincere, that I hate sin. I did something wrong, thought a wrong thought, said wrong words, acted in a wrong way, that, that I'm truly grieved over it. And I know his forgiveness is real. And then I'm determined to get real low, to do whatever I have to ha- do before him to fix things, to get things right, and, and not to take his mercy for granted. So somehow the Father's love has been planted in my life very, very deeply, and with it a sense of calling and purpose. That, that he doesn't want us groveling. That when we've truly repented and asked for his forgiveness, we receive it. And yeah, I know his chastisement. I've gone through months where I felt under his chastisement, under his correction. Uh, but I knew it was love. I knew it was love. And because of that love, I knew it was for good purposes. And I knew the lower I get, the more I'll be raised up for his purpose. So those are some of the things. But the Akharit message has, has been critically important. We'll we'll make sure in days ahead, there's a link up. You can click on and listen to it or watch it preached. And uh, with that, the recognition, I could mess up like anybody else. And that's just kept me seeking the Lord earnestly. And and then my wife, Nancy, just with her deep perception, knowing something's wrong, knowing something's off, knowing if I'm not walking intimately with the Lord as I should, just kind of that push or that questioning and it's been so helpful for me to drive me deeper. Uh, and okay, let's see. Uh, let's go over to Tony. Yours is a testimony of the Lord's powers. You obeyed him. Congrats. Yeah. What, what mercy, what goodness. Chris, what is the single most stunning divine intervention you've ever personally witnessed? Whoa. That's a big one. What's the single most stunning divine intervention you've ever personally witnessed? I mean, I have seen God turn the tide dramatically. I have seen things going in one direction get completely turned upside down. So many times I've seen favor come out of what looked like it was going to be disaster or someone attacking me and, and it, Ends up being turned for for good. I'm thinking of services <laughs> where God just broke in suddenly and kind of shocked us all, where the Holy Spirit just came and it's just get on your face, get on your face. God is moving. God is moving. You know that that kind of thing. Um, you know, being part of some outpourings. Where, where God just broke in. I mean, we knew for months and months of prayer, something was going to happen, but then the way he broke in and how within a day, a congregation from the morning to the evening looked different because of the spirit, the spirit falling. Uh boy. I mean, they're just dramatic answers to prayer. I got to think about that one more. If there's just one in, in particular, but I, I have, Absolute faith in the intervention of the Lord. I, I you know, I will just give you one little example. God called me to quit my job and go teach at Christ for the Nations Bible Institute. Uh, they had a branch on Long Island from eighty three to ninety one, the famous school in Dallas, which continues strong to this day. I was just there pouring to the students and look forward to being with them more in the in the years ahead. They had a branch on Long Island, eighty three to ninety one, and uh when, when, uh when I got the word from the Lord to, to quit my job and go teach this before they were hiring anybody, it was, so I did it all by faith. I told, I told my boss, I'll be leaving at a certain point in the year. I told my mom, we'll be moving an hour out to Long Island. She was a widow then. And, and uh you know, of course told Nancy that the moment God spoke to me that first night, quit your job and go teach there. So we, we put our house on the market and uh, be, before, before, Officially being hired or anything, but you had the word to do it, and and I still remember, uh, our house had had uh, sat on the market before we bought it for like a a year and a half, something like that. And we we found a house in in um uh, that we thought okay, this is gonna work near the new school out on the island. And the guy, as we're going to buy it, he says, "Okay, look, uh, the only thing is we've got another offer, and we you know we've got to close by." By the end of the week, right? We had we hadn't put our house on the market yet, and it had sat on the market a year and a half before before um, before we had bought it. So <clears throat> the guy the guy says, "Look, we need to close by the end of the week, and uh, you know, go to contract." I said, "No problem." I said, "Our house to be sold by that." We hadn't even put it on the market, but I had had this supernatural faith. There was this wave of faith. I, I was riding a wave of faith, like the gift of faith was operating. I just knew it. So call the local realtor, okay, put our house on, on the market and so on. And uh, each day people come and looking at the house. It's, and, you know, nothing, oh, you have a beautiful house, Mrs. Brown, tell Nancy, they leave, whatever, you know, our little house then that we had, our first house. So I, I remember it taking a day off. It's like, okay, I got to pray this thing through. I got to pray it through. And uh, I, the guy calls me and he says, okay, look, we need to know because we have another offer and we need to know. I said, oh, uh, it'll be sold by the end of the day. Remember, it sat on the, uh, on the market for a year and a half before it sold. And we were now asking more. This is three years, uh, roughly, well, no, five years later, right? Five years later. So, so check this out. Check this out. So tell, tell the guy, it's going to sell by the end of the day, all right? It's been on the market three days. It's going to sell by the end of the day. And then we get a phone call shortly after that. Hey, listen, uh, here's the deal. The people that looked at the house last night, they really like it. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, and they want to close immediately. He said, and in fact, to make sure you don't have to go through bank or anything, they're gonna they're gonna pay with cash. <laughs> it was just this supernatural faith thing that it happened, and I just I just knew it, you know, was gonna fall into place and just could announce in advance our house will sell and and all of this. And remarkably, for some reason at the closing, they wrote two separate checks. One was for the exact amount we'd be paid when we moved in. And the other, the other was just what our profit was. And they didn't know. They just wrote two separate checks. And then when I told the realtor afterwards I, what happened, he goes, you're not going to believe this. He said, I felt bad that I couldn't get people to, to go look at your house because I wanted to get all these people to go through. I knew you were in a hurry. He said, so I just random went through my, my card file and found this one couple thought maybe they'll look. And that's how it happened. But as I'm saying this, I remember the most dramatic intervention was with the the birth of of our first daughter, Jennifer. That's a whole other story. But that was the most dramatic answer to prayer when it had to come at a certain point so we could have Jen at home. That was the most sudden, like, oh, my. But, yeah, there have been a number of these over the years. Um, Michael posted, so you're officially a jujube. Mazeltov. Yeah, a, a Jewish believer celebrating. The Jubilee, Harry asked this question: How many Jews have become believers in Yeshua because of your ministry, my respect and admiration for you, Doctor Brown? Okay, this is really, really God glorifying. I I can't give you a number; it's impossible for me to even guesstimate. But I can tell you, and I'll answer more of this on the other side of the break. I can tell you that overwhelmingly we have heard from Jewish believers over the years who say, I'm still in the faith because of your resources. In other words, they were, they were getting hit with objections. They were questioning, I'm still in the faith because your resources. That's one. And constantly we hear from frontline ministries doing Jewish outreach that they are leading people to the Lord on a regular basis And the key is that they are using our resources. So I want to share more about that in a moment, but it is to the glory of God. Okay, we're going to be right back on the other side of the break. Join me in celebrating the mercy and goodness of the Lord, who he began, the one who began a good work. We'll bring it up.
1: It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown.
0: Hey friends, it's a unique Friday on The Line of Fire broadcast. I'm taking questions about our journey in the Lord. This, this is 50 years, yes, 50 years in Jesus, 50 years from that point of surrender. I said, Lord, I'll never put a needle in my arm again, which is really the first time I could ever confess Jesus as Lord. Because at that point, I said, I only want to do your will. Of course, it's been growing in grace, sanctification ever since. And I'll continue to grow until I meet him face to face. But celebrating 50 years of that day of surrender. And I was asked a question from Larry, how many Jews have become believers in Yeshua because of your ministry? So I I just, in the last week or two, got notes from two people who have led family members to the Lord. And both of them said, I used your resources to reach them. And and, and then and then, when I was with Aton Bar, you know, one for Israel, the amazing work they're doing. I'm just absolutely thrilled to see what they're doing and how many lives are being touched and, uh, around the world, especially in Israel. And he said they get thousands and thousands and thousands of emails and calls from people, Jewish people, Israelis wanting to find out more about Yeshua. He said, and we get... We hear from many Orthodox and even ultra-Orthodox Jews secretly. And he said to me, "He said that's because we're using your resources and materials." And if you look at his first book that he wrote on on answering rabbinic objections to Christianity, he he wanted me to see it when we were together. He said, "Look, I want you to see this." It was a special tribute, thanking me, saying that that we inspired him or our materials inspired him to get involved in evangelism and apologetics. So we hear that all the time, right? Right now, a Shilohu TV in Israel has segments where there is a uh, an Israeli Israeli believer who is taking my material but he's now sharing it as an Israeli rather than me with Hebrew captions plus we have our materials out in English with Hebrew captions and then our materials have made their way into you know Zimbabwe training messianic Jews there and and Russian Jews here etc and, and through one publication of one of my colleagues uh, uh, my my own story and then and then questioning whether the rabbinic traditions are true, that has literally gotten into millions of Jewish hands worldwide in English and Russian and Spanish and Hebrew. So we don't know how many have come to faith. And God willing, we're going to be part of a a major resource that that I'm I'm hoping will be the most effective thing we've ever done in Jewish outreach in in the years ahead. Uh, So I, I can't give a number of how many have come to faith, but on a very, very, very regular basis. We, we meet up with believers who are still in the faith because of the materials and hear of, of other Jewish people who have come to faith through them. So I, 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 uh, I'll say this last thing. One ultra-Orthodox rabbi uh, was speaking with me and I asked him, this is some months back, I asked him, in, in your view uh, how, or in your community, so, either those doing counter-missionary work or in his ultra-Orthodox community, how am I viewed? And he said, Well, you haven't done quite as much damage as Hasatan Satan, but close. He said it with a smile. But but meaning, meaning that, that is the that we're making a difference. Obviously, in his mind, it's the work of the devil. In our mind, it's, it's making the Messiah known to our people. And, and the first reason I wrote five volumes on answering Jewish objections to Jesus was not outreach, but to strengthen fellow believers so they didn't have to go through the questions and the, the doubt and the pain that I went through when I was challenged, that they would have all the information and then use that to reach our people, raise up an army of evangelists, and of course, reach those who are, who are seeking. All right, let's see. Um, okay, this is, a, this is a question from Lanre. It's, it's not directly related to my own story, um, but uh, let, let me try to address this. Why do a significant number of Christians, white or black from California, New York, tend to generally see differently from Christians from southern evangelical states like Texas and Alabama as concerning issues that have to do with systemic racism? When Christianity is supposed to be a single line of truth, why do they vote differently and the people, for example, for example, Texas generally think differently? Okay, the question goes on for there, but let, let me just give this a quick answer, but I want to be true to the purpose of today's show and, and, and what kind of questions we're answering. There are, two, there are two issues. One is perspective, the other is experience. One is if you are in a more conservative biblical environment, it's more natural for you to think in more conservative biblical terms. When you're in an environment that's more hostile to the scripture, more progressive in its theology, so-called progressive, uh, it's easier to think in those terms. So in the environments where there are stronger biblically-based congregations on larger numbers and you're raised in a more friendly environment to the faith, it's only natural for you to see things from a more conservative biblical perspective. The other is life experience. If you grow up in the midst of systemic racism versus grow up in an egalitarian society, your own experience is going to be different. Your own perception is going to be different. It, it, It dawned on me some years ago, that the, the black pastors that I interacted with, black bishops who were dear friends of mine, that their story was not necessarily the story of your average black American, even your average black Christian. In other words, their experience, their position, their viewpoint, their, their worldview was maybe different from someone else. And so, again, it's just your own experience, background, how that translates out, how that fleshes out, right? And, and how much attention you give to what the media says. But uh, I'll give you an example. You can grow up in an egalitarian society. You can be one that's part of a multiracial church. You can look at stats and say, hey, you're more likely to be killed as a black person by a black cop or a white person by a white cop, you know, whatever it is, than the reverse and look at all the stats versus someone who grows up in a uh, in. in in a situation where there's still a lot of inequality, where the churches are really heavily segregated, where there's been more of a history of police brutality. And in your experience, when you see the news, you're going to see it come to very different conclusions. So the gospel remains true. That remains unchanging. But depending on your own life experience, that's that's going to dictate a lot of how you see things. And then where there are biases and wrong theologies, that can influence you. Negative. There's more to say on this, and when we do our normal uh, calls, you're free to call in and ask. But just wanted to address that quickly. Uh, thanks for the Mazel Gregory. Okay, James asked this: How do you keep the fire of the spirit and not get distracted by good things, scholarship, speaking, etc., or bad things? We all have our ups and downs, but what else is your advice for keeping that fire? Let's say 50 years ago, 25 years ago, and today: How best you abide in Him? Great question, James, and relevant. To this moment, in my first years in the Lord, I just got lost in the Lord. I just had such a hunger and thirst to be with him that it became an increasing life practice to spend hours and hours with him. So our church services, we had a lot of church services, Sunday school, Sunday morning service, Monday night prayer meeting, Tuesday night service, Friday night service. Uh, Over a period of years, we ended up adding a Wednesday night service and a Sunday night service because we had another location. And the, the core believers, we were there for every service, every time. But in addition to that, by the time I was saved a year, I spent at least six or seven hours with the Lord every day and with virtually no distractions while doing it. It's days before cell phones, days before cable TV, days before PCs and tablets and all of that. So I would spend at least three hours in prayer a day and as Pentecostal praying in tongues, at least an hour a day. I would memorize scripture one hour a day. I used to memorize 20 verses per hour. And then I would read the word at least two hours a day. So that laid a foundation in my life. But over the years, when, once I started going to college, then married and with our first child, and now getting into scholarship, I left my first love. I, I was still a very committed believer, a very serious believer. My wife and I sponsored refugees from Vietnam, brought them in our home as, as most of our church was doing in those days. We cared for other poor and needy. I mean, that was just our lifestyle. We were very, the, my university colleagues, faculty, you know, the, the professors, the students, they all knew me as a committed believer, but I'd left my first love. Scholarship became an idol for me. And, and it was through the prayers of others that God helped reignite the fire in my life and brought me to deep repentance over a period of months in 82. And, and then after that, I thought, okay, I always have to be careful. My tendency to this day is to get distracted with good things, to overwork. To push too hard, to get absorbed with writing, to get absorbed with speaking, to get absorbed with with serving and going and doing. So, my my weakness is not that I'm going to spend all day watching television or all all day playing sports or something. Yeah, I'll I'll chill. I'll 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 watch something you know clean. uh, Watch some sports, chill. That yeah, that's I do that or you know play some games with with family. But that's not my that's not my weakness. My weakness is I, I overcommit. My weakness is I'm going to push too hard doing gospel work and neglect the secret place with God. So it's something because I left my first love and because I was heading down a path where where I could have just put academics and scholarship as the end all, as as opposed to carrying the the flame of revival fire that God's put in my heart and, and intimacy and first love and making that first and everything flow out of that. So because of that, there's this, self-correction. In other words, I got to go back. 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 I've got to spend more time in his presence. Even in the midst of revival, in the midst of four years in Brownsville with the most glorious services imaginable and the presence of God and us on our faces worshiping, I got so busy, was pushing so hard that then I I began to neglect private time alone with the Lord and got too tired. <clears throat> and 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 that's unhealthy spiritually. So it's just been, okay, when I see that time, not spending enough time with God, there I go on my tendency to overwork and get overcommitted. It's like, okay, pull away. So what I've done now, and this is a step of faith to do this. And with Nancy's strong encouragement and, and urging, I am taking one weekend a month, May averaged every five weeks. Um, I've done it six times since, since May, just this past weekend, this last weekend this is the last time of the year but I'm taking a weekend a month not to travel and speak. So this is a faith step too. That means that we have to trust God, whatever finances would have come in for the ministry when I'm out on the road, right? We're trusting that God's going to bring in other ways and, uh, just spending a weekend alone with the Lord. So I'll finish radio on a Friday and let's say I'm, I'm, I'm home, right? finish radio on a Friday, go to the grocery store, get my salad stuff, et cetera. And then head over to to a place, could be a little hotel suite, could be some little cabin somewhere, whatever, and, and just lock myself in. Don't leave the place just for the weekend. So that means aside from meals or just, you know, just relax for a little while, <clears throat> I'm spending my time in prayer and in the Word. So all night, Friday night, all day Saturday, Saturday night, all day Sunday, Sunday night, and then come back home on Monday. And it's been wonderful. <laughs> Oh, boy, I've been encountering the Lord, friends. I've been encountering the Lord, meeting with Him, and pressing in in prayer, and it's it's just been beautiful and wonderful. So that's key. That's just key. I, I have to consciously push myself in the other direction. Sometimes it's just a daily prayer commitment. It's something to push myself in the other direction and make sure I'm walking in
1: It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown.
0: Thanks for joining us, friends, on the special celebration day, 50 years in Jesus. And you know what blows me away? I don't think I would have made it to my 18th birthday. I got saved when I was 16. I literally don't think I would have made it to my 18th birthday because I would have been able to get my driver's license before then. Right. And New York's a little bit older than than some other parts of the country. But I would have been able to get my driver's license, my learner's permit, at least, and <clears throat> been out driving. And the way I was so crazy with drugs, they way I was so reckless with drugs, and you know, they used to call me drug bear and Iron Man. And because I would take these massive quantities, way, way more than a normal human being should be able to, to take. And just to see how far I could go. And, and I sometimes I couldn't distinguish reality from from hallucination. Uh, I remember doing massive doses of LSD or mescaline and and I'd be walking down the street with my friends and it was the middle of winter and I couldn't tell what the weather was. Uh, literally, I, I couldn't tell if I needed a coat or not. And then everything would become a hallucination. In, in other words, the cars on the road would morph into other things and, and, and the trees would become cartoon trees. And so I would walk with my hand in front of my face. Literally, I'm. I don't. I'm not kidding you. I would walk with my hand in front of my face because I couldn't distinguish hallucination from reality. And you think, okay, what happens if you're driving a car? And I was foolish enough; I probably would have done it. And just, hey, let's see what happens. Or let's see how far I can go. Or you get some paranoid thing. You're on some bad drugs, and you get some paranoid thing. You're driving fast, whatever. I literally don't think I would have made it to my 18th birthday. Plus, I experimented <clears throat> seeing how far I could go without overdosing. So, what kind of jerk were you? I was a jerk. I was an unsaved jerk. I was. So, you know, my brain was just fried, just all the drugs. And, and then, even though smoking pot initially didn't do anything for me, once I was getting high all the time, I would smoke pot all the time as well. So, sometimes morning, even, afternoon, evening, smoking pot and doing other drugs. Remember when I got saved, it, it took some weeks for my head to clear. And I realized my head wasn't clear because of kind of interacting with with my other friends who had gotten saved and gotten off drugs. And I realized, boy, they're a lot sharper than I am. So it, it took some time for my head to clear, but to see what God's done over these years and his grace and mercy. So here I am at 66. And seven years ago, God helped me to radically transform my lifestyle with healthy eating. So, I I, I mean, I'm, I'm basically pain-free, ache-free, medicine-free. All my vital signs, blood tests come out wonderful. I'm not boasting about tomorrow. I'm not boasting about the next breath, but I'm just saying to be 66 and full of life and joy and vitality and able to, you know, do intense workouts with young men and, and, you know, just, no, I'm not mega strong. I'm not like, oh, bodybuilding. No, none of that, but just, you know, the cardio and the pushing and all that and, and hitting it together and, and, uh, and full of enthusiasm and vision and faith and can't wait for for tomorrow. Uh, I, I, that's that's the grace of God. That's the grace of God. You know, I'm reflecting back on a question that I was asked for today's broadcast about uh, things that I've done to keep the fire burning in my life, and and one of the things is being conscious. <clears throat> excuse me, that you need to keep the fire burning. So a- after I had. Repented of leaving my first love. So the late 70s, early 80s, committed believer in many ways, but had left my first love. And as a shared scholarship had become an idol in my life as opposed to a tool for God's purposes. So, and I was more theological than intimate, you know, reading the word more to understand theology than to understand the Lord. Reading the word to grow in theology more than to grow in relationship with the Lord. And there's there's a difference. Good theology can get you connecting better with God, but it can also just get you into theology. So when I saw that happen, I thought, okay, I have to be sure that I don't fall into this again. So in those days, before I'd written anything, I would, I would take a message of mine that I had preached one time. <clears throat> and let's say in this message, I was burning with fire as I preached it. I would listen to it and see if it convicted me. Have I lost that fire? Am I not there today? Once I started writing books, I would take some of the really intense chapters from different books and look at them. And, and read them again a year or two later. See, does this convict me? Am I still in the same place as, as when I wrote the book? Or or go back once I started journaling to old journal entries and, and look at those and see, okay, am, am I experiencing God and loving God the same way and journaling it now, expressing it the same way as I did then? Or, or have I lost some of that? Uh, another thing would be to periodically read. For, for me, it's better than listening to messages, but periodically read things that that deeply stir me or deeply convict me. Some, some of the great sermons. Uh, I, I used to read John Lake's spiritual hunger message uh, once a year, uh, read it again. Oh, this year, actually, after not reading it many, many years. And that, you know, those kind of things just disturb stir me Your old Ravenhill classics, you know, why revival tarries chapters from there to say, okay, am I keeping that fire burning? Part of it is to do this consciously <clears throat> to To make a determination, I am going to continue to to put fire and passion and hunger in in front of me and challenge myself to run my race and be all God's called me to be. And another thing that's kept me sharp is as I'm constantly attacked. I'm constantly hated and attacked and maligned for the gospel. And I know it's for the gospel. I I know it's for the Lord. And, And because of that, that that keeps the fire burning, the, the hatred, the attack, the vitriol, the misunderstanding, all the junk that comes my way as I, as I serve as kind of like a, a giant lightning rod for all this stuff. It's part of my calling. And as much as there's attack with it, there are people that pray for me. And I, I know that I know that I know that a major reason that I'm strong and thriving and loving the Lord and, and full of purpose and saying, hey, I, I want him. He knows I want, he knows, the Lord knows when anything in this world, I want to please him and glorify him. He knows my heart. He knows what's there. He's put it there. But one major reason I'm, I'm here is because of people praying for me and people praying intercessors, faithfully crying out to God for me. I am sure more than I know, I owe my life to them more than I know. I owe my soul to them in so many ways oh, to the Lord, of course, but you know what I'm saying? So I I don't play with that. And I know that's what also helps carry me in the midst of the attack and the attack further fuels the fire. And then the good fruit we see, the, the lives change, the testimonies, that further fuels my fire. In fact, if, if you missed at the beginning of the broadcast, what we're asking for you to do this day, celebrating with me 50 years of God's mercy in, in my life and the ministry that we've been able to provide to, to the body here and around the world. What we're asking is this. Now, for your fine, oh, you don't always send money. That, that's going to go towards the gospel. Of course. But two things. One, if we've been a real blessing to you, either recently or over the years, played a significant role in your life or family member coming to faith or or just help you be be strong, but but in a significant way, would you take the time to shoot us a note? You can email info at askdrbrown.org, info at askdrbrown.org, and just share your story. Would you do that? How we've been a help and blessing to you and this is something we'll look back on in the years ahead. We'll share it with our team. And 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 we look back at some of these things for for further encouragement and strength. I tell you, I'm strengthened by the attacks, but I'm so deeply blessed by the testimonies. Sometimes they bring me to tears, literally. Sometimes I've read them on the air and had to hold back tears because I, I'm so grateful to God that he's allowed me to be a help to you. So that's one thing. Would you do that? If you say, I don't use Email. You can always write to us at P.O. Box 5546, P.O. Box 5546, Concord, North Carolina, 28027. Maybe it's a book we've written that's changed your life. We'd love to hear it. P.O. Box 5546, Concord, North Carolina, 28027, or info at askdrbrown.org. That's the one thing. The other, join us in prayer. As I've been doing these regular prayer retreats, uh, basically once a month going away for a weekend just to seek the Lord as, as I've been doing these almost, no, I can't say almost every single time I get overwhelmingly burdened by God to pray for the massive national expansion of the line of fire radio broadcast friends. We want to be a voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity to millions more people. We want to bring a revolution in radio and internet to millions of people across America, not a revolution of hatred or anger, but a Jesus revolution, truth, overcoming lies, love, overcoming hatred, the fullness of the spirit, overcoming the the power of the world. So we're asking you to join with us in faith and to ask God for this. As I have agonized on my face before the Lord and shed many tears before the Lord, He knows I I, I want to exalt His name. He knows I want to declare His ways and declare His truth to a wider and wider audience. And He knows I want to help people who are struggling. I I want to help those who are hurting. I want to help those that, that, that need equipping and empowering. Because in Jesus, we are overcomers and world changers. There's so many more Jewish people we want to reach with. As we were on certain key cities in America that we're not on now on the radio, we get regular calls from Jewish listeners. We want to be back on some of these stations. So we're simply asking you to believe God with us, that he would amplify this voice, which services your voice. The things that burden you, the things that convict you, the things that concern you. By God's grace, we've got a great platform and we're able to shout out your burden, your concern together to the nation. So would you do that? Would you believe God with us? It's my request to you on our 50th anniversary in Jesus on the special broadcast that the Lord would allow us to blanket America with the line of fire broadcast and that by his grace would help spark revival in the church and gospel based moral and cultural revolution in society. And ultimately, we contribute to the salvation of the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's why we do what we do. Let me just end by saying, Jesus, I'm so grateful to you for your amazing mercy and love. My life is yours. God bless.